0: All right, Jonah chapter three. Jonah chapter three is where we're gonna spend our time tonight. Let me recap. We've been in this series, Relentless, for the past couple of weeks. And my hope with this whole series is this, is that you would grab onto, as we look at the book of Jonah, that you would grab onto God's relentless heart and pursuit of you and God's relentless heart and pursuit of other people. Even the people that you would consider to be your enemies. Even the people that you could care less if they knew God or not. I want you to grab onto that. I want you to to understand that that's who God is, and that's how God loves, and that's how God pursues, relentlessly. So we looked at Jonah chapter one, and really, like, if we could just sum it up, it's this picture of this self-righteous prophet, Jonah, who runs from God's call on his life, and yet God graciously pursues him, relentlessly. And as we know that Jonah gets swallowed up by this fish, and then we transition into chapter two, and... What happens is Jonah repents in the belly of this animal. And he repents and he acknowledges, God, I have disobeyed you. I'm a prophet and you've called me to go and I haven't gone. And he repents. And at the end of chapter two, it says that God spoke to the fish, which that's weird, but cool. Uh, But God spoke to the fish and the fish vomited Jonah out. And Jonah's back on land now after he repents from his disobedience of not going, which gets us to where we are today in Jonah chapter 3. Before we read, I want to put this scenario before you. How many of you have ever been to a parade? A lot of you. Okay, good. Uh, So I have been to a parade also. I've been to many parades. I don't know why, but I've been to a lot of parades. Uh, So I I don't think think parade like downtown League City, downtown Friendswood, like, oh, it's the 4th of July or it's Christmas and there's like six people there just trying to get some candy from Santa. Don't think that. That's lame and lame. So I'm thinking like I was at this when I was in sixth grade. My family and I, yeah, my family and I, we went to uh, we went to Disney World in Orlando. We went to Disney World, and there happened to be this parade in at Disney World. And I'm not talking like downtown Lake City Fourth of July or Christmas parade. Like that's. Parades at Disney are unbelievable. I mean, they're just, they're another level. All right, so we roll up to this parade, and I'm in sixth grade, and I'm all of about 4'8". Just like, awesome. Imagine this size head on a 4'8 body. That's whack. That's so not cool. But that's so, it's true. So we roll up to this parade, and it's all these, I mean, there are thousands of people lined up on either side to watch this parade and I roll up and I am not this tall and I can't see. And as you can imagine, as, as you would imagine at a, with any little kid, when, when they're at a parade and there are people in front of them and they can't see, there are a couple of options for them. You can kind of worm your way to the front, like get out of the way, get out. Until you get up to the very front and now you can see the whole parade. You're like, oh, this is great. Or, or dad takes little kid, picks him up, Puts them on their shoulders. And then little kid can see the whole parade. So here's here's the deal. Here's why I'm telling you this. Because as a, as a little kid, when I rolled to that parade at Disney, I I was at the parade. Even though there were people in front of me, I was at the parade. I was in some, in some way, in some form or fashion, I was experiencing the parade. However, I wasn't experiencing all that the parade was. Because I couldn't see all that well. I was blinded by some people in front of me that were taller than me. And it took me or somebody, it really it took somebody changing my perspective and putting me, it takes, a, it takes a, somebody putting this little kid on their shoulders to change their perspective so that they could get the full experience of the parade. Now, why do I tell you that? Because this, I'm afraid that there are some of us that you would call yourself a believer. You're at the parade. But truthfully, you're not really experiencing life and life to the full or joy forevermore in Christ because you're blocked and blinded by something. And that something is called self-righteousness. As that on some level, you think, that you are just religiously or morally better than all these other people. And what it's doing is it's robbing you from experiencing joy to the full or life abundantly in Christ. It's robbing you of that because you're so blinded and you desperately need somebody to give you a different perspective so you can experience all that it's meant to be. So that's what we're going to look at as we look at Jonah chapter 3. We're actually going to uh, go through Jonah chapter 3 and 4 all in one night. Don't worry, it won't take forever. But I'm just going to read Jonah chapter 3, 1 through 5, and then I'm going to jump over to 4 and read the first four verses. So Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. That sounds a lot like something we heard in chapter 1. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Jump over to chapter four, verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, "O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, you do well to be angry. All right, so let's just set up what's going on here. Jonah gets puked out of this fish because God is gracious to him. Jonah repents. He gets vomited out onto dry land, and God comes to Jonah again, which, by the way, is complete grace because this is a, supposed to be a prophet of God that was like, hey, God, I know that I'm a prophet. That's fine, but I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to live my own life. This is my way, and he flees, and God, God is so, so much relentlessly pursues him and loves him, and he He swallows up Jonah in this fish, Jonah repents, gets vomited out on the dry land, and then he comes to Jonah again and says almost the same thing. Arise, go to Nineveh, call out against it, tell them the message that I tell you. And instead of saying, so Jonah got up and went to Tarshish, it says, so Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So Jonah obeys, he previously Disobeyed and didn't go, and now he obeys and goes. And he goes to Nineveh, and it says Nineveh is a great city. It says that it's it says that it's three days' journey in breadth. You just need to imagine it's gigantic. It's a really, really large city. So Jonah walks in. And he's about a day's journey into the city, which I don't know how far that is, but that's a lot of city. And he walks in, and about a day's journey in, he this is his message. Yet forty days. And Nineveh will be overthrown. Exclamation point, drop the mic. That was it. It's like, good sermon, bro. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And look what happens. Look at verse five in chapter three. And the people of Nineveh believed God. What? Like here's just a side note, okay? For those of you in here who are terrified to share your faith, for those of you in here who are so scared or you're worried you might get turned down or what, whatever, this right here, this scene right here is proof to you that salvation, that belief, is completely a work of God and not a work of you because Jonah comes in and says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In Hebrew, you know how many words it is? Five. He said five words. And these people say, we believe God. We believe God. So here's what that's proof for me. It's not about how eloquently or smart your message sounds. It's how truth-filled the message is. And the gospel that you bring, Christian, is the truth. Don't add to it. Don't try to spice it up. Don't think you got to give them something different. No, give them the gospel. It's enough. Five words. And the Ninevites believed God. What could God do through you? Give them the gospel. So this is what happens. The Ninevites believe, and look, look, let's keep going. Verse six, the word reached the king of Nineveh. Okay, so now Jonah's word has reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. This is just a picture of repentance, right? Verse seven, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. This is what he said. By decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste, "'Anything, let them not feed or drink water, "'but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth "'and let them call out mightily to God. "'Let everyone turn from his evil way "'and from the violence that is in his hands.'" Who knows God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The king says to his people when this message, this message of wrath and mercy at the same time comes to him, he says, look, everybody needs to repent. I mean, everybody like you, your mama and your dog need to repent. That's, what, that's what's going on here. He says the beast, he says, hey, hey, get your cattle, get them in sackcloth and ashes. Don't let them eat. Don't let them drink. We are repenting before this God. And hopefully he'll relent. That's that's crazy. Here's what that teaches me. The gospel changes. The message of God changes everything. Everything. That's hope-filled. Look what God does in verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not. And God relents and He shows mercy. This is like revival. I mean, like homeboy showed up and gave a five word sermon, walked out and the whole place got saved. That's unbelievable. Like if that was me, if that was anyone who has worked at a church ever, who has labored in ministry, if I came up here, dropped five words and God saved every single one of you, people would be like, what did you do? It's like, I, don't, I don't know. It would be unbelievable. It would be, it would have to be a work of God. And you would think, gosh, we would praise the Lord. We would shout. We would say, oh my gosh, this is so incredible. Yes, God, you are so good. Thank you, God. You have done great and mighty things. You would think that that's how, what we would do. You would think that that's how Jonah responds. we look at chapter four, verse one. This is how Jonah responds. but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So Jonah doesn't celebrate doesn't bless God, doesn't say, this is incredible. Yes, God, yes. I'm a prophet bringing your message and these people were brought to repentance. Yes, God, thank you. He says, God, in so many ways, this is Cade's version. God, you got it wrong. I can't believe you did this. I knew you'd do this and I'm mad at you. I can't believe you saved those people I can't believe you showed those people kindness. I can't believe you showed those people grace. I can't believe you showed those people mercy, God. They don't deserve this, God. You know what that's called? It's called self righteousness. What we're going to see as we move through four is that self righteousness can be a lot like being a little kid at a parade. You're at the parade but you can't really experience all that's going on. You need somebody to give you a different perspective. And Jonah desperately needs a different perspective. So we're gonna look at this idea of self-righteousness, but let me give you a definition of self-righteousness first. This is my working definition. It's not from Webster's Dictionary. It's just what I think. All right, here we go. It's gonna work for us tonight. This is self-righteousness. Thinking that you are morally or religiously better than the other people around you, or period. Thinking that you are, and looking at yourself in a way that that you are morally and religiously better than those around you. You're just better. It's called self-righteousness. So let's look at Jonah's identification of self-righteousness. We'll jump back up to chapter four, verse one. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. That's the first thing, that Jonah gets angry. The first sign that Jonah's self-righteous is he gets angry. God saves, and Jonah doesn't doesn't celebrate. He gets mad at God. God, what the heck are you doing? He questions God. Like prophet appointed by God, that would mean that God's his boss in so many ways, turns back to boss and be like, "Uh, hello, did you get that one wrong? And he gets angry. Just proven self-righteous Jonah. So he gets angry through verse... Three, in verse four, God God asks him this incredible question. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Like, it just, like, how kind does God seem right there? Like, kind, but like, I just punched you in the throat. Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? I mean, does this really make sense, buddy? Let's see what Jonah does. Verse five, he doesn't even respond to God. It says this, Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under, under it in the shade till he, could see, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from, the, from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. So not only is Jonah angry, now he's sitting outside the city pouting like a kid. He's sitting out there pouting like, this isn't fair, God. Shouldn't have done that, God. And then God's gracious and like, uh, gives him this tree. And he's like, this isn't fair, God, but at least I have this tree. And he just keeps pouting. And so God's like, all right, dude. So God sends a worm. The worm eats the tree. The tree dies and it gets really hot. And he's like, this is double not fair, God. And he's just pouting. Like, dude, what are you doing? How self-righteous are you? Why do you think you're so much better than these people? So not only does he get angry, he starts pouting. Look at, verse, look at verse eight. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that, it was, that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And then God asked him this question again. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Now, Jonah didn't respond the last time. Now he's gonna respond. Look at his response. And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So not only has Jonah gotten angry and Jonah started pouting, now Jonah's getting really, really selfish. And he responds back to God, God asking, hey, do you well well to be angry? Yeah, I do, God. I do do well to be angry, angry enough that you should kill me. Like, wow, you are mad right now. Like some of you have been in those arguments with your siblings or with your parents and maybe you have been the person that said something that was really ridiculous and like you were really mad at mom or dad and you're like, why are you so mad? I don't know why I'm so mad, but you you just hate me, don't you? (laughs) Wow, that was an overreaction. Just like, okay. You've been there. So Jonah just, I mean, he just is radiating. This self righteousness. Not only does he get angry that God saves, but he starts to get he starts to get pouty because God saved, and then then he just shows even more his selfishness. God, because you did this, I'm so mad at you, and I'm so mad that you did this. You might as well just kill me, like bro. Chill out. It's anger and it's poutiness and it's selfishness. Jonah saying, "I want it my way, God." I am the prophet of God. I did what you said, God. I did. I went to the Ninevites and I cried out against them. I did exactly what you said, God. I deserve for this to go the way that I wanted. I deserve for it to go the way that I wanted. I did what you said, God. This isn't fair. What's Jonah's problem here? Yeah, he's self-righteous, yes. But like at the the root of it, what's Jonah's problem? Jonah has a God problem. Jonah has a God problem. That really, Jonah misunderstands who God is. Look back up in verse three of chapter four. I'm sorry, verse two. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you, meaning God, that you are a gracious God and a merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Okay, so Jonah, head, like he head acknowledges that. He's got it in his brain. It's information that he knows, but really that has not, he has a big time God problem. So that's his problem. Then what, what's the effect then? What's the result? It robs him of the joy that he could have been experiencing. He could have been celebrating with the Ninevites. He could have been blessing God. Yes, God, you are good. You are strong to save. You are the one that salvation belongs to. And because of his self-righteousness, because he thinks I deserve better, I am better, it robs him of it. And he's sitting to the east of the city, pouting in the heat. And we read this and we think, Jonah, you're a moron. And you know what I think when I read this? I'm not too far from Jonah. I'm not so far from Jonah. That maybe, maybe identifying our self-righteousness doesn't look like us like going and declaring judgment on people and then sitting on a rock and baking in the sun and getting mad at God. Maybe it doesn't look like that. But maybe our, our identification of, of self-righteousness looks a little bit more like this. That, that you might be dealing with self-righteousness if this. If you have a hard time celebrating the life change in other people, if you have a hard time celebrating the life change of other people, but all you want to do is find a reason to think that that's not actually real. You're just skeptical. You're like, oh yeah, you said you got saved. Whatever, I know who you really are. You have a really hard time celebrating with people. Maybe that's not you, maybe this is you. You do have a hard time celebrating the life change in other people, but not because you're skeptical. You have a hard time celebrating the life change in other people because you think the amount of attention that they're getting isn't fair because you didn't get that same attention. It's not fair that we're celebrating this person that just got saved. It's not fair that they get to be on a video and give their testimony. It's not fair that they get to be on the stage. It's not fair that somebody's hugging them and saying, "God bless God for that. We're so happy. That didn't happen to me. It's not fair. You might be identifying that you are struggling greatly with this thing called self-righteousness. Or maybe that's not it. Maybe you don't have a hard time celebrating with other people. Maybe it's a God problem. Maybe for you, you, you think things like this. God, I obey you. I do what you say. I stay away from those things and I, I, I do those things. God, I, I follow you like you said to follow you. I deserve good to come to me, God. I deserve it. I have said those things to God. Me, Kate. God, I followed you. I deserve better than this. You know when that one comes up? That one comes up when pain happens, when the family splits, or the relationship goes bad, or the friend stabs me in the back, or whatever. I, I, I just shake my fists at God and say, God, I deserve better than this. I follow you. How self righteous. Who am I to look at God and say, I deserve better than this? I mean, maybe that's you. (laughs) Or maybe in the middle of the pain, you're not saying, I deserve better than this. Maybe you're saying to God, I don't deserve this. I'm good, God. You shouldn't give me bad things. I don't deserve this. Or maybe it's none of those. Maybe you don't have a problem celebrating life change in other people. Maybe you don't get jealous of other people's platform or whatever. Or maybe you don't get mad at God because you think you deserve better. Maybe it's none of those things. Maybe it's someone's hurt you and you are just shoving unforgiveness down into your heart. You're saying, you know what? You do not deserve the forgiveness that God tells me to give you. You don't deserve it because you hurt me really badly. And here, listen to me. Please, please hear me. Don't, don't leave here getting this wrong. I don't ever want you to think that I am eliminating the hurt that you carry because some of you carry a lot of hurt and I'm sorry, like I'm I'm so sorry. However, if you're the person in here who's just carrying that hurt and bitter at the person that hurt you, saying you don't deserve my forgiveness, that is self-righteousness. That is you thinking that you're better than them that the forgiveness that you've received in Jesus isn't extended to them. That's self-righteousness. We've gotta be careful. Because here's the deal. When we live in self-righteousness, here's the effect of that. It robs you. It robs you of the fullness of life that God promises in Christ. It robs you of it. What is better for me? You're robbing yourself of the life that God has for you in Christ. But this is what he says. This is what he says in the Bible, Psalm 16:11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, that's Jesus, that that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the life that we are offered in Christ. And some of you are in here and you've been Christians for longer than you can remember. And all you're thinking is, that's not how I experienced the Christian life. All I experience is I've got to do these things. I've got to not do these things. And then when I don't do them and I do the things that God tells me to do and this other person gets a better platform than me, I just get bitter. Because I'm so afraid and you're just missing it. You're missing it. And comparing yourself to other people and getting jealous and envious and self-righteousness is blinding you and blocking you from experiencing this life and life to the full that's found in Jesus. And not only is it robbing you from the joy that you could be experiencing in Christ, but here's the second thing that it's doing. It's providing a really crummy picture of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. It's providing a really crummy picture to the world of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Can you imagine when lost people see you, if you're just bitter all the time, they're like, hey, I know that they're a Christian. And if that's what it looks like and feels like to be a Christian, I don't want in on that. Listen, listen, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about yourself. I have I, I've lived with this forever. I struggle with this. I've had the times of praying to God in the middle of tragedy saying, God, I do not deserve this. I deserve better than this. Or looking at the other person that got the, the bigger platform than me that just recently got saved and I've been following Jesus for years. God, I deserve better than this. I deserve more than them. I've been in this game longer than they have. I've been there. I've been there. I know what it's like. And I know that it robs you of life and life to the full in Jesus. I know it does. So if you're identifying yourself there, if you're a lot like Jonah, what the heck do we do to avoid this? What the heck do we do to get out of this? You gotta do one thing and it's gonna provide you two things really. You need to change your perspective. A different perspective so you can, you need to be like the little kid that gets picked up on the dad's shoulders. You need to get a different perspective so you can experience this more fully. So how do we do that, Kate? I need to know we, number one, we see God for who he really is. We see God for who he really is. And you ask yourself this question. Is my life about the glory of me or is my life about the glory of God? Because Jonah's life was about the glory of Jonah. He sits to the east of the city and pouts. And God comes to him ever so graciously and says, hey, bro, do you really do well to be angry? If you finish out chapter four, God says, should I not pity these Ninevites? Jonah, there's 120,000 of them. Should I not show them pity? Should I not extend mercy? Why wouldn't I do that, Jonah. you need to ask yourself the question, is my life about the glory of me or the glory of God? And don't lie to yourself. The second thing you need to do is this. You need to preach the gospel to yourself. You need to preach the gospel to yourself. You need to understand that the gospel puts every one of us on a level playing field. That we're all on this playing field of broken Sinful and in desperate need of God's grace. No matter if you grew up in the church from a time that you were birthed, or if you just walked in today, that the level playing field is, we are sinful and broken and in desperate need of rescue. And God in his great mercy for us extends out and sends Jesus to come and live perfectly where you and I were supposed to, but couldn't because of our sin and die the death that you and I were supposed to die because of our sin. But not only did he live and die, he did what none of us could have done. He went to the grave and then got up from the dead so that you and I, could have the way because God extended unbelievable mercy. God showed us pity. God looked at us, whether you were in the church at one or you walked in today, God extended mercy to you and said, you can have life and have it to the full. And it's available for everybody who trusts in the name of Jesus. You need to preach the gospel to yourself and remind yourself, this person that's getting a bigger platform than you, you're no different than you're just as broken in need of God's grace as they were. So celebrate their platform. Free yourself from that junk. It's slavery. I, I'm telling you, I've been there. It's gonna come back up. So here's how we're gonna respond the band's gonna come back up here, and we're gonna respond like this. If you're in here, and, and any part of that, like you, any part of that, you're like, I feel like I'm a little bit or a lot of bit like Jonah. Shaking my fist at God because I think I deserve more than this or I deserve better than this or I don't deserve this. And you you feel, you feel, ah, I do deal with this self-righteousness. Here's what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to turn from that. And then this is what you need to do if you've hurt people with that self-righteousness, if you've shown them anger, you need to go ask for forgiveness. And then this is what you need to do. You need to be free. You need to be free. You don't need to leave here with guilt thinking, oh, I'm terrible, I suck. No, the gospel frees you from this kind of stuff. Jesus frees you from this kind of stuff. Then if you're in here and you're the other side, Maybe you're in here and you've been the victim of somebody's self-righteousness. You've been the victim of somebody who was just super religious and thought they were better than you and they just threw judgment on you and you just got hurt and you're mad at Christians and you're mad at the church and you're just bitter, but you're showing up and put on this face, but you're really just, oh, you're mad on the inside. If You're there. Ephesians chapter four says, be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. If you've been hurt, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. You need to extend forgiveness because it was extended to you and Jesus. And then if you're in here and you're none of those categories, you're like, okay, I don't think I'm self-righteous and I I haven't been the victim of one, of somebody being self-righteous toward me. I just want more of Jesus. Like I just and you just go for it. Or if you've got baggage or questions or junk that you're dealing with from the week and you need somebody to to offload that on, there's gonna be people in the back that you can pray with. But you've gotta respond. God doesn't leave it such that we can't. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. Thanks for the picture that Jonah provides uh, that, that really holds up a mirror to us. Really exposes the Jonah in all of us. And God, where, where, where that is exposed, God, where we repent, and where we have been hurt by those, where we forgive, and if we're none of the above, will we just press in and say, Jesus, we want more of you. You're unbelievable, you're slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. God, change us. Make us more like your son, we ask in his name.